Well, good morning to you, and uh, nice to be with you again. Uh, thank you, Krista, for that beautiful number. I love the strings, don't you? Uh, just soothing to the heart and to the mind. Did I forget something? Okay, that's a good thing. Excellent. Colossians chapter uh, 3 is where I invite you to turn in your Bibles. It's page 984 in the little blue Bible in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a uh, copy of God's Word with you, please take that out and turn to page 984 so you can uh, follow along. I'm sure probably many of you have heard someone say at one time or another about someone else that he is so heavenly minded, he is what? No earthly good. And the purpose behind that statement really is to deride the individual who's known for his knowledge of biblical facts and truths, yet has become irresponsible in his daily living. Thus we say he's so heavenly minded <clears throat> that he's no earthly good. Now I understand what the person is trying to say with that statement, but uh, I hope you agree with me that we just don't think it's true. In fact, dare I say really the opposite is the truth. C.S. Lewis wrote this, if you read history you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who laid the foundation for the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. You see, the problem today is that most Christians are so earthly-minded that they are really not much heavenly good. Changed lives, changing lives, says God wants to use each one of us in a wonderful way. Dare I say that if we're going to reach any of these people on the bricks in back of me, you've got to get out of the world if you're really going to reach them. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Colossians 3, 1 to 4, I think, teaches us to live our life from a spiritual, eternally, and heavenly perspective. So let me just turn to and read Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and you follow along. <clears throat> if you then <clears throat> have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is our sanctification. Now, don't let that word scare you, because possibly you have been raised up in a certain circles or denominations where it's a frightening word because of the fanaticism that is often attached with it and expresses itself attached to this precious doctrine. There are three words that really all come from the same word that are translated in our English version by the words sanctify, 
holy, and saint. All three words come from the exact same Greek word, hagiatso. The basic meaning of the word is to set apart. Let me just make it as practical as I can. Whatever you're wearing today, in my case, we'll take this jacket. I sanctified my jacket this morning. And by that I mean I set it apart, I took it off the closet, and I put it on me. I set it apart to wear today. That is the basic meaning of the word, so don't let it scare you. The word holy, or hagias, again you can see the similarity. It means to be set apart from that which is unholy. And then you take the third word that is translated saints, and it means one who has been set apart to God. Now the second, split second, you said, I believe in Christ as my Savior, and you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were sanctified, you were set apart. I think it's Paul's favorite word to describe you and me as Christians. Those who are in Christ were set apart, we were in Adam, now God views us as in Christ. Now it's those three aspects of sanctification I want us to look at this morning. And I think we could, in a practical sense, take it in the past, sanctification. I was sanctified in the past when I trusted Christ. Present, I am being sanctified today. And then in the future, I will be sanctified as well. So it's a past, a present, and a future aspect. Now when you look at our position in Christ, notice he says in verse 1, If you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this, this verse begins with two words, if, then. And as soon as we see <clears throat> that word, if, we think of something that is iffy, that it may or may not be. And that's a bad translation of the original language. I think, really, it should read, in view of the fact that you have been raised to Christ. Are you with me? It's not an iffy situation. It's not maybe so, maybe not. It is a fact. It is assuming the reality of what he has stated. When you trusted Christ, you now have been raised with Christ. Now, we saw in chapter 2 that we were identified with Christ on the cross in his death. We went in the tomb with him, identified with him there identified with him in his glorious resurrection. And Paul adds in Ephesians 2, 6, and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Now, this is a truth that can radically change your Christian life. Pastor Rob has faithfully dealt with it week after week. But if you haven't appropriated it yet, I'm telling you, it is a life changing truth. Since you are identified with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and even his ascension, that means you are now positionally seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God with Christ because you are in 
Christ. So since you've been raised with him, you obviously have a new life. His life is in you. And the only way that our lives will change is to live a life that focuses on things above, not things on the earth. Now follow me for a minute and look in your, in your Bible in verse 1. And I've circled these little prepositions because uh, when I come to Colossians 3, I want them to stand out, uh, to stand out with me. Verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, that's the first one. Uh, seek the things that are above where Christ. That's the second one. Seated at the right hand of God. Jumping down to uh, uh, verse 3. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ. Third one. In God. When Christ. Fourth one. Who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him or with Christ in glory. So what you have here is you have, you, you have with Christ you have where Christ, with Christ, when Christ, with him in glory. And the emphasis is clear. If you have Christ, you have everything that you need, not only for this life, but the life to come. And as Rob showed us in chapter 2, Christ plus nothing is everything, so that you need all the stuff, all the baggage that sometimes we take with that, in particular, in chapter 2, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. Christ called you out of the world. You are in Christ. You're seated with him heavily. But he's left us in the world to be a witness to those around us. And if our life is not changing, we can't expect God to use our life to change other lives. Changed lives, changing lives has all to do with this truth of sanctification. So I think he's telling us, don't get preoccupied with all the worldly attractions around you. Positionally, you are a saint. You are a saint uh, in Christ, sanctified in Christ, identified with him in his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension. So what we need to do as I'm living down here, I'm a walking, I'm a walking dead man, as it were, because I died with Christ, and as I'm living down here, I'm constantly thinking on the next world. I'm thinking heavenly truths so that those around me, that's the only reason God left us here. If the matter where God would save us, forgive us our sins, cancel out the debt and the penalty and, uh, of my sin, then he would have just taken me home to heaven. But the truth of the matter is he left us here to be a witness to those people uh, who are around us. We used to sing a little chorus years ago. Do you remember? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the world or the earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. So that's our past sense. We are sanctified in Christ. We're identified with him, death, burial, resurrection. Now we go to the next thing, and that has to do with sanctification, our practice uh, in Christ. And that's where we move now from our position to where we live today, our practice or our responsibility to walk worthy of his calling. So we pick it up in verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So he says, set your mind. Uh, um, you remember Jesus said this and Solomon said it as well. As a man thinketh, what? So he is. You are what you think. And you know and I know every day, of every week, of every month, 365 days a year, everything is, is coming after me and after, trying to capture my mind. And Paul says, don't be deceived by this stuff around you. 
Don't let it control your mind. And some stuff, don't even let it get into your mind. Resist it. Set your mind on things above. Let me remind you also, this is a command, not, not an option. Now, he's not inviting us to walk around in a, in a fog or to sit in a corner like a bunch of Buddhists and contemplate your navel until you wind up in nirvana. And he's not saying to go off into some yoga type of thing where you just let your mind flake out somewhere. That's a, that can be a very dangerous thing. Do you ever hear the expression, let go and let God? That's the dumbest thing you can ever be told. Don't you dare let go. That's the exact opposite of what he says here. He didn't say let go of your mind. He says set your mind. You have to direct what you're going to be thinking about and where your mind is going to go. So the Holy Spirit of God is not telling us to do something weird and, and, and strange. He's simply saying let your focus on Christ Govern your earthly responses. Now, what's going to happen if you do this? Uh, let me share with you just four things that I think might, might, might happen, and there's a whole lot more. Number one, if you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, if you do that, it's going to change your view on material things. Now, most of us are familiar with the story in Luke chapter 12 where the Lord was approached and he was asked to settle a dispute that a, a brothers were having about an inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not going to get involved in that. And he didn't even uh, answer uh, the question. But then he went and he used this as an opportunity to teach. And the main teaching that followed uh, this encounter was where he said, Beware of covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things possessed. Then he talked about a wealthy farmer who was fixed for retirement. He worked hard, he planned, he saved hard, he had his future map out, and now he can go for it. And there's only one problem with that farmer. That is, he gave no thought whatsoever to the things that are above. And what did Jesus call him? He said, you're a fool. Now, we can slide through those verses that we know so well, but you think about that for a minute, because what's on your heart? What do you want to hear him say to you? You want to hear him say what? Well done. You've been a faithful servant. You've done good. Can you imagine leaving this life in one second, if you're face to face with Christ, and he looks at you and says, you're a fool. You're a fool. Depart from me, I never knew you. If I'm thinking on heavenly things, I think it's going to allow me, and it's going to definitely change my attitude on material things. I want you to think of yourself and ourselves this morning as actors on a stage. And we go up and the curtain opens. And one of us is dressed up as a prince, and one is dressed up as a pauper. And so we put on our regalia, we put on our costumes. And then when the curtain comes down at the end, we go back to the dressing room, the pauper takes off his rags, the prince takes off his fine clothes, and each goes into the world, real world, he leaves out the stage door, and that's what really matters. The problem is, if we're not careful, we can think this is the real world. This isn't your real world. Remember the old gospel song, I'm just a passing through, 
I'm a foreigner, I'm a soldier. This isn't my real world. I'm here, but my real world is the one where I'm seated in heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why would I envy somebody that has more stuff than I do? Why would I get jealous if you've got a yacht and I just have a 48 Studebaker? I mean, what does it real what 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 difference does it make? If God is blessing you, got this and I've got that, and I'm I'm the prince, and you're the pauper, or I'm the pauper, and you're the prince. So who cares? We're just actors on a stage. That's all we are. This stuff doesn't matter, and yet we can get so preoccupied with it, making the big dollar, setting the bank account. Everything is here now, bigger barns, bigger homes, bigger yachts, better cars, better this, better that. And then we die, and what? We didn't use what God entrusted to us, and we were rich on earth, but brother, are we bankrupt, poor in heaven. Meditate on the future life, it'll change your mindset. I'm not talking about Sunday morning. I'm not talking about 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning or 6 p.m. on Wednesday. I'm saying discipline your mind every moment of the day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year. Constantly your mind is thinking. And you t- it takes discipline to do that. Number two, it will enable us to endure sufferings and trials with purpose. That's the second effect if you're setting your mind on things above. I've been around a lot of suffering people the last few weeks. I've cried a lot. I've seen a lot of hurts, severe hurts. Breaks your heart. And I'll tell you, there's a difference when a saint of God is suffering and they're viewing it through the lens of heaven being heavenly minded. It makes all the difference in the world. Suffering then has a purpose. The loss of a child has a purpose. Even the unfaithfulness of a spouse has a purpose. Yeah, I'm hurting, yeah, I'm weeping, yeah, I'm suffering, but it has a purpose. God didn't turn his back. He didn't close his eyes. He didn't say, oh my, I didn't see that one coming. No, he didn't cause it, but he allowed it. And if he didn't allow it, then let's pack up and go home because he's not God after all. He's omniscient. Not one thing happens on earth that God doesn't know about it. And he either directs it to happen or he allows it to happen. Either way, I need to think on heavenly things. Jesus is our great example. All his life, he meditated on heavenly things, but especially looking to the cross. And none of us here can enter into endure the suffering he went through. None of us, physically, mentally, spiritually, in the soul, in my relationship with the Father, nobody can enter into that fully. What kept him going? What what allowed him to endure the cross, despising the shame? It was he was thinking on heaven. He was thinking of the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame. And he looked upon the travail of his soul, Isaiah 53. He looked down the quarters of time, and he saw you, and he saw me. And he saw the millions of people who would be called out of this world into the glorious light of the gospel. And he was satisfied. 
and he endured that awful cross. Are you suffering? Are you hurting? See it from a heavenly perspective. It won't take the tears away, but it'll sure give purpose to what it's all about. Thirdly, it helps us stay balanced and enjoy the things of God on earth. It'll help us stay balanced and enjoy the things of earth. C.S. Lewis wrote, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. John Wesley talks about once being led through the opulent uh, estate of a friend and as he went through from one spacious room after another and he looked at the magnificent landscape, he said, these are the things that makes it hard for a man to die. Two truths. There's a direct correlation as to how tight you hold something and how hard it is to let it go. Secondly, when it comes your time to die, there will be a correlation of how hard it is and how much you died before. Where you're dead and your life is hidden with God in Christ. Enjoy the good stuff. Don't clench your fist. Corey Ten Boom said as well, I learned to hold everything loosely because it hurts when he opens my hand and takes them from me. Are you married? He or she's not your God. Christ is. Hold her lightly. At any time, God has the right to say, come on home. You love your children. Who doesn't? Your grandchildren. God reserves the right that says, it's time for little Mary to come home. Don't hold too, hold, hold them, don't, just don't hold them too tightly. It'll hurt a lot more. Thank God for what he's blessed you with. Don't hold on to it too tightly. Don't get wrapped up in your home and stuff. Fourthly, it makes us less fearful of death and anxious to go to heaven. Makes us less fearful of death and anxious to go to heaven. Matthew Henry wrote, He whose head is in heaven need not put his foot in the grave. When you start making deposits constantly in heaven, it's not something you're fearful about, it's something you look forward to. I have come to the point over the years when I conduct a funeral service, I used to think, how sad. Now there's a sense of envy in me. There actually becomes a sense of envy. C.T. Studd said, be sure to celebrate my funeral scripturally and send hallelujahs all around. It's a better day than one's wedding day. Did you ever see Gaither? I've got to admit, I'm a Gaither addict. I confess. Did you ever see them sing that song, Throw It Away? Or Give It Away? It's a, it's a powerful song. And then another one I loved is by Jeff and Sherry Easter. He wrote the song when his mother died. And she told him, when she was dying, she says, son, I don't want any mourning. I don't want any heavy stuff. I want a celebration because I'm with the Lord and I'm with your father. And I can't wait. And so he wrote a song. And it might seem irreverent at first because it's a hallelujah celebration. But that's the way his mother wanted it. Because she already had one foot in heaven in her life. Let's close it out. Sanctification. 
our perfection in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you set your mind on earth, on things above while you're living on earth, in a practical way, it'll change your view on materials. It'll endure you to suffer with purpose. It'll help you stay balanced. It'll make you less fearful of death. Now we come to the sanctification future. We've seen the past, the present. This relates to our sanctification in the future. Let me read verses 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you will appear with him in glory. Christ is our sanctification. He's our perfect, ultimate sanctification. We were identified with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Verses 3 and 4 teaches us someday we'll have the perfect sanctification when we are with the Lord and we no longer even have the capacity to sin. I remember interviewing, seeing Johnny Erickson interviewed Whoever since her teen years has lived as a paraplegic, most of you know Johnny and Johnny and family. And she's, she remarked, and I just thought of this, it's not even in my notes, but I remember the interview where they said, most people when they talk to me about heaven, they think I can't wait to have a new body where I can walk again, I can use my hands. She says, that's not my burden. She says, my burden is to think that someday I will no longer have the capacity to sin and be perfect and be like him as he is. So the reason for seeking heavenly things is because that's where you're alive. That's where your life is at. You have an entirely new life, though now, notice what he says in verse 3. Though now your life is hidden with Christ... In God. What does it mean your life is hidden with Christ in God? Three thoughts came to my mind. Number one, it means I'm totally linked with God, first of all. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That ought to either make you weep or just jump up and down and shout, praise the Lord. If you weren't a bunch of Anglicans, you would probably. <laughs> I'm linked with him. I'm with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm linked forever with him. My life is hidden with Christ in God. It means that this new life I now live down here is concealed from the world, from those who do not know him. They don't know what makes you tick. They don't know why you do what you do. That's why they think you're weird. Now, some Christians are weird. I'll admit it. There's a lot of weirdos out there. Trust me. You don't have to be a weird nut. But if you're walking, you're heavenly-minded. Listen, the world receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. Why? Because these things are spiritually discerned and they don't have the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. I'm linked with God, I'm concealed from the world. <coughs> it also means by implication that if my life is hid with Christ in God, I've got 
security for my redemption. If I can go to hell, so can Christ. I'm as perfect as Christ, ultimately. Because what? I'm in Christ. It's just the one body in heaven. He's the head, but we're members of the body. Some of the members have gone ahead. We'll be there soon. But I am eternally secure. And finally, just to prove all this, verse 4 says that there's going to be an unveiling taking place. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then shall we also appear with him in glory. Perfect sanctification. Sounds a little bit like 1 John chapter 2, doesn't it? I thought of it this morning in that one song that we sang about trying to say, how do you explain the love of God? And, and John tried, he says, behold what manner of love, remember that verse? Literally the word manner means what otherworldly kind of love, what a love he has showed upon us that you can't even put it down into the human realm. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, what? We shall be like him. So what? Every man then that hath this hope does what? Purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Same thing that Paul is writing here. The world may not recognize us now, but when we come back in that ultimate second coming and Jesus is on that white horse, and 10,000, 10,000 of angels, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, we're going to be with him. And the world is then going to know what this is all about. Lightfoot says, the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others, and even partly from yourselves, will be withdrawn. The veil will be lifted. Let's go to the conclusion. Practical steps to take. Number one, command. These are just some practical things to think about, then we're done. Take responsibility for directing and controlling your mind. I know what some of you are thinking. Harry, you don't understand. My mind goes all over the place. I'm with you. I understand that. When I kneel down and pray, and I go through my prayer list, some vile thoughts will come into my mind. And I've got to resist those. Everything in life is pulling for our attention. No one else can control your mind. Nobody. It's my responsibility. Think of it in this way, would you? In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating, Lord willing, Thanksgiving, and maybe many of you with family members. And you're going to start off the day, and you're, I don't know what time you normally eat, but you're going to probably have a turkey, maybe ham, mashed potatoes and gravy and Stuffing, do you call it stuffing or filling? I don't even know what, it's all the same. Pumpkin pie, pecan pie. And you are going to get so full. <laughs> and then tack onto that, you're watching three NFL football games. 
all right? And you sit there, and you ever know that you know the feeling, don't you? You just feel like, ah, this is awful. I got to get up and what? Go for a walk. And then your body says, oh, this easy boy is so good. Just stay right here. But you discipline your body because you know it's good. And you go, it's the same thing with the mind. Just like you tell your body, get up and go for a walk. Or don't eat so much or whatever. So you do the same with your mind. And your mind may resist like your body, but you take responsibility for it. Number two, communicate. Communicate. By this I mean learn the art of talking to yourself. My wife and I, we'd have to confess, both of our, we both talk to ourselves a lot. I'll hear her mumbling something. I'll say, what did you say? I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> well, there's no one else in the house. I mean, come on. And I do the same thing, okay? I talk to myself. It, you say, well, that's the first sign of madness or senility. No, it's not. All over the Psalms, how about this? Bless the Lord, what? Oh, Yeah. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Why are you cast down, what? O oh my soul. He's talking to himself. And that's a good thing to do. Manage your own heart. Your mind needs to be trained like your dog. And you train your dog to do certain things, go certain places, not do certain things, etc. And your mind needs that same kind of thing. Thirdly, concentrate. Direct your heart and your will by exercising faith in God's promise. It's a mental focus. It's concentrate. The mind lays hold of the promise of God. Faith brings the promises to the heart and the will. I love what the 16th century Richard Baxter used to say. He said, let faith lead your heart by the hand. Isn't that beautiful? Let me say it again. Let faith lead your heart by the hand. As you're setting your minds on heavenly truths, tell your heart, persuade your will, this is yours in Christ. Draw near to God. Make sure you take a walk in the new Jerusalem every day. Amen? Every day. Take a walk in the new Jerusalem. That's setting your mind on things above. Jesus says, stop letting your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many a mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive it unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas says, we don't know what, where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you see it? He's the way. He's paved the way. He's made the way. And now he says, stop letting your heart be troubled. Heaven's coming. Last, compare. Compare. Four practical things that might help. Command, communicate, concentrate, compare. Use the joys of earth, are you with me? To propel your minds toward heaven. Now we do that the first Sunday of the month, every, every, every Sunday here at Osterville, just about. You're taking the bread in your cup and you're thinking not only of the past, the cross, you're thinking of the future when you're going to participate with Christ. So as we partake, we, we have a view toward heavenly things. Do this with everything in your life. Do this with the birth of your child. Uh, do this with a, a, a great steak dinner, with graduation. Take anything that is such, brings such a joy to your heart 
Next time you're enjoying the, that, that delicious prime dip, think of what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be like. Next time you're at a wedding and you see the bride, think about the marriage of the, of the Lamb. You, are you with me? Take every joy of this life and don't just leave it there. It's not meant to be left there. It's meant for you to then transpose that and to compare it with that which is coming. Don't let earth's joys and gifts make you more tied to earth, but lift your minds and propel your minds to heaven. Anticipate the life that is to come. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things for above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For your life, and you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also be with him in glory. Jesus is our sanctification. Would you bow with me in prayer? Positionally in Christ, what a glorious day that was. Saved, forgiven, on my way to heaven. Have you had that in your life? Can you look to a time and say, Harry, yes, I, uh, some of you can remember exact moment, exact day, others of you can't, but as you sit there, do you know for certain you are in Christ? Now after uh, I sit down, I'm going to go to the back in that little prayer room and if anybody here would like to talk, honest to goodness, there's nothing that would thrill me more than just to sit with you and for you to leave here knowing I'm a saint of God. I'm in Christ. Presently, are we setting our mind on things above?